Welcome home, friend, to Sober Shares, Episode 5. This podcast will focus on alcohol recovery stories via the real-life experiences of our guests. We will paint a vivid picture of their adventures in a way which will make you feel like you have a front-row seat to recovery. These deep-dive talks are guaranteed to inspire and entertain you. My name is Michael, and I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober since October the 10th of the year 2000. I want you to know that I am a sober member of the world's largest 12-step program. Sober Shares podcast is in no way affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous. We do not speak for AA or have any association with them. We speak only for ourselves and have no interest in outside issues. Sober Shares is not affiliated with any politics, organization, or institution. We will be self-supporting via contributions made by you, the listener. You can make a donation to support us by clicking the PayPal link on our website at www.sobershares.com. Any money collected will go to offset our operating expenses. This is not a for-profit venture. Our only aim is to provide you with a great podcast on recovery. Any money you send us will be used to improve the podcast and cover our monthly expenses. This podcast will archive individuals who have been through the challenges and trials of alcohol addiction and have come out the other side sober and free. We hope to be of great service to the world when it comes to documenting recovery stories from the disease of alcoholism. We are broadcasting to you from Dallas, Texas in the United States of America. I am glad you are here and hope you find what you are looking for. My great aspiration is that you are enriched by Sober Shares and want to bless others by clicking the subscribe, share, or review button on your listening device. And now it's time to meet our guest of this episode of Sober Shares. I'm going to turn it over to her so she can introduce herself and give her sobriety date if she chooses to. Hi, Michael. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I deeply believe in you and what you're doing here. It's an excellent service to many people. I appreciate you. you want to introduce yourself and give your name and sobriety date if you feel like it. Sure. My name is Vanessa Borg Guile. Yes, that's B-O-R-G in the middle. I'm half American, half Norwegian. Or my mom's from Norway. And my sobriety date is 219 2001 Oh, wow. Okay, cool. We're close to each other in length of sobriety. That's fantastic. Yes. And as we both know, we are only in this moment of recovery, right? We get to be here just in this, this moment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. One day at a time. I One feel the same way. We're granted a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And I do feel like you and I have been gifted quite a few in a row, con- continuous sobriety. So that's, that's a blessing. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your childhood years, where you were born, and what did your family look like? Sure. Um, so I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana. Wow. To all you Louisianians out there, much nice. love to you. Le Bon Temps Roulet all the way through and through. Okay, what does that mean? Le Bon Temps Roulet means let the good times roll. Okay. Is that, all right? <laughs> is that French? Is that French? It is. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's exact perfect French. It sounds good to me. You know, of course, in Louisiana, they have the, the Cajun uh, twang on things, uh-huh. right? Uh, which, is, which is fabulous. I'm not Cajun. However, deep reverence for the Cajuns that are there in my fine state. Yes. That's fantastic. So uh, my dad's from Mississippi originally. And um, as I had mentioned earlier, my mom's from Norway. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad was a a doctor. But before going to medical school, he wanted to learn how to play flamenco guitar. Mm -hmm. And uh, he played blues guitar. So music was a huge part of our family. Okay. So we went overseas uh, to study flamenco. Mm -hmm. And um, in, in lieu of that... A direct result met my mom. 
And uh, he was traveling around in Paris and uh, she had just finished finishing school in Monte Carlo, spoke five languages. And I'm, I'm giving the <laughs> precursor to all of this, right. Yeah. For a little, for a little later on. And, uh, That's they funny. were 18. Oh, cool. Falling in love in Paris. Wow. Uh, yeah. 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 Have you been to Paris? I have. Yeah. I love Paris. They call it the city of lights. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I've, I've heard about it and I finally got to go. I got a blessing, was able to go to Paris for two weeks and I had a fantastic time. You had a great time. I had a great time in Paris. Yes. I was very impressed with uh, the Arc de Triomphe. And we also, um, I enjoyed the bread. You know, the bread. Sure. The, a is good it camembert, camembert cheese with a baguette. Oh yeah, God. sure. It was so much fun. And back in the day, maybe a deep red burgon wine. Yeah. On yep. the steps of Sacre-Cœur. Yeah. With yep. people from all over the world. We had a good time. We went out to the palace of Versailles. Is that how you say Versailles. It? Yeah. I went yes. out to the palace. And yes. And I spent some time on the street called Rue de Berry. That's where we stayed off the uh, Champs-Élysées. Champs-Élysées. Yes. Very nice. It was really, really fun. I had a good time there. But not to digress. So your parents met in Paris and fell in love when they were 18. Tell me more about that. Um, well, that that was really it. You know, he was a, a good looking guy from Mississippi. And my mom <laughs> was a blonde haired, blue eyed uh, Norwegian. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had seen a billboard of hers. She was involved in the entertainment industry industry there as a uh, movies and so on and so forth. And um, um, she was like a talent person, like an actor. She was, she was an actress. My, my grandmother is a woman named Ingeborg Cook. She's, you wouldn't know of her name here in the States. Um, it's so it's kind of like, she was like the Frank Sinatra of Norway, okay. my grandmother. Okay. And so my mother fell in suit and of that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother did. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there was a TV show, movies and things of this nature. Wow. So my mother really loved my dad because she left all of that. Uh -huh. And went back with him uh, to the United States and moved to Wiggins, Mississippi. Culture shock. Yeah, culture shock. And uh, inevitably, you know, he went on to medical school and um, so on and so forth. And they ended up getting in a really horrendous car accident. I'm sorry. It all started with a drunk driver hitting them dead on. Okay. And I'm only sharing the type of car because it'll give you the idea, right? So it was that E-type Jag with the long nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drunk driver hit him dead on. Uh-huh. He was killed immediately. They were, your parents were in the Jag? My dad and my mom oh. and my sister actually were in the car. Oh my God. And uh, my dad broke his back in three places. Mm. My mother's right leg, uh, the bone, what is it called? Compound yep. fracture. Correct, yep. yes. And my dad with a broken back because that long nose imploded mm -hmm. into the, the coupe part right. of the car. Yep. And my sister slammed up against the back of the, the she was in the back sleeping, right? Mm -hmm. There's that little coupe section. Yep. And um, my dad said he put one hand on one side and his other hand on the other side of the doors, mm -hmm. popped them, mm -hmm. walked out, pulled my mom out again with a back broken in three places. Mm-hmm from a drunk driving experienced mm -hmm. accident, right? This is the tragedies that can happen. Yep. And uh, then walked around the other side, got my sister out and collapsed. Mm. They then uh, got my mom uh, and my dad uh, to the hospital, you know, after some time finally. And um, mm -hmm. my mom almost died because they 
almost accidentally gave her the wrong type of blood. My dad noticed it in this like haze. Wow. You're giving her the wrong blood. You're giving her the wrong blood type, right? What a beautiful man to be aware of his wife's blood type. Could you Are imagine? you aware of your own blood type? I'm not. You know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not at all. either. I don't know if I'm O negative, O positive. Or, I don't know what I am. Yeah, for and sure. I, and I bet you $100 my wife doesn't know what kind of blood yeah. type I am. <laughs> That's amazing that he, he was uh, with it enough to understand that and see that. And see that. It saved her life. Wow, okay. Or they both would have died from that drunk driving accident. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, sure enough, they're recovering from all of this. And yeah. my dad in a back brace and my mom in a full on leg cast. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in there, you know, I popped up. Okay. Yeah. So you're talking about two people who must have really loved each other. Yeah. A man wow. in a back so you were brace born and a, to, a woman born, in a cast. How many, so you were born within a year of the, the car ride? Um, uh, you know, I don't know the exact time frame, but yeah. somewhere therein, they obviously had a very long recovery mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. And at first my mom was just thinking, you know, with our women cycles, it, yeah. it was just due to all of the medication. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of painkillers and yeah. vodka going on. And was your sister dramatically injured? In um, no, fortunately enough, when she slammed up on the back of that, uh, the coupe section that it's like, a, there, there isn't really a little seat mm-hmm. in the back there. Yeah. Um, uh, behind the two front seats. Yeah, yeah. It's like a little place to put your friggin' Stuff, luggage. Stuff, <laughs> yeah, and that's it. How she, old was she at that time? Goodness, so she's six and a half years older than myself, roughly. So she was like about five Yeah, and a half, so, so she went over to my aunt's house and um, wow. and then my parents were trying to recover and so on and so forth. So, wow. Yeah, my mom said it was really quite the surprise. She caused me her vodka steak baby. So I, I really don't know when my first drink was in the womb. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, and they didn't know what was going to pop out. Yeah. So surprise. Yep. Do you have any <laughs> other brothers and sisters or just you and your sister? I do. I have a, uh, a half brother. Uh, his okay. name is George. He's from a, my dad's second marriage. Okay. Um, great, great uh, human being. He is, he's an orthopedic surgeon in Atlanta. And um, then that was later, that was later. So yeah, that was all in New Orleans. And um, dad ended up becoming a psychiatrist as a result of that, because he had had all this training in medical school, but he couldn't bend over the table Mm -hmm. anymore with the back and also due to football injuries as well, compounded with that car accident. You can't be a surgeon bending over a table if you're in severe pain. Yeah, yeah. So he ended up going into psychiatry. Okay. and uh, and then a little while later, I was about one, one and a half. My parents uh, separated. Okay. A lot of post traumatic stress disorder from the car accident. Okay. It was severe. Okay. And my mom, years later, said it was the greatest mistake of her life. I definitely know that uh, I was conceived in love, real love, real love. And that is that's an amazing thing you said. Can we can we circle back to that please. for a minute? Your your mom said that that was the greatest mistake of her life, like just releasing and separating from your father because yeah. she was such, such turmoil from PTSD. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And my dad actually said that at one time too. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. Wow. If they had had some sort of recovery, if they had had that some make you sort feel of, when, they, when oh, you heard that? How that make you feel? Man, that, that made me feel incredible, right? Because yeah. um, I only have like three memories of my mom and my dad actually being in the same room. Mm-hmm together you uh-huh. know to the level in which someone loves someone usually sometimes can be to the level in which they 
may hate them later or despise them later. And my dad's, uh, unfortunately, he's a beautiful person, but his yeah. his um, speak of my mother yeah. was really kind of brutal, right? Okay. And it was brutal because of the pain. I know that now. The emotional pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah she, did you ever did you ever approach him um, when he would? Um, say things about your mother that, that were less than kind and ask him not to do that in front of you? Like, did you ever, did you ever establish boundaries with him and ask him to not do that please in front of you? That's a great question. Yep. Years into recovery, I've when I had the courage and the wisdom Mm -hmm. to actually wrap my head around the fact of, Oh, my mom isn't such a bad person after all. Mm -hmm. And maybe everybody's suffering. Mm -hmm. And, um, particularly when he would do that in front of his second wife or his third wife, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, that's it. That's yeah. enough. And I, I really purport out there for any parents mm-hmm. that when it comes to your children and you're divorced, don't bring your garbage to your innocent kids. Mm-hmm. They didn't cause the pain and the suffering. Really be aware of what you speak about your spouse um, in front of your children, because that is their mother and that is their father. And it took a lot to unravel all of that. And then for me to really see my mom as my mom and not through the eyes of my dad. Um, and God bless my dad, psychiatrist or not, you know, let me tell you something, <laughs> let me, folks, those shrinks are people too. Yeah. You know? They've got their Sometimes. own lives going on outside of what, you know, Yeah, you deal with them every, you know, maybe once a week for 50 minutes, but they've got their own life <laughs> and their own situations going. Yeah, for sure. For uh, sure. Um, so you want to say anything else about your childhood? Yeah. So, you know, I, um, I grew up as I had mentioned in, uh, New Orleans mm-hmm. and, um, Hmm. Like such ha- a, happy childhood, sad ho- childhood, lonely I would, childhood. I would have to say um, all of the above, <laughs> you know, all of the above when they, they divorced when I was one. Okay. So I don't even remember the divorce, you know, who'd you end up with? I ended up with my mother. Okay. I ended up living with my mom Okay. and she ended up uh, remarrying um, a fellow named Dr. Joseph Beasley. Okay. And uh, he was heavily involved with um, the behind the scenes with family planning and Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. He wrote the Kellogg Report for the Kellogg Foundation, funded by the Rockefellers and all sorts of things, and uh, worked with Governor Edwin Edwards, et cetera, et cetera. And to the level in which he actually was helping out a lot of women um, locally there, which inevitably obviously landed on a national scale, okay. was to the level in which he would beat my mom to a pulp and uh, as my perpetrator, right? So okay. along with uh, the alcoholism, I am uh, uh, an, a survivor of incest. Okay. And so for anyone that is out there that has that, whether male or female, you got nothing to be ashamed of. Okay. Who you are is who you are and what they did isn't a result of your worth. Just yep. know that right now it's not my fault. Obviously he was an unconscious man on mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Joseph Beasley was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my mother never really quite recovered from that. Mm. And so she really began to utilize the alcohol for her own um, anesthetizing, if you will. Um, So in a way, I'm really grateful that my mom did a deep dive into uh, alcohol, because I think that maybe if she hadn't, Mm -hmm. she may have died by her own hand. Uh, 
later on, right? Any of the drugs in life, alcohol, porn, shopping, sex, shopping, working, cocaine, working, working out, working out, gambling, gambling Twitter, Facebook. <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's yeah. name it in this day and age. Yeah. People use these things to anesthetize their feelings. Yeah. And my mom definitely uh, used the alcohol to anesthetize her. And he too was a, 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 a volatile drinker. Okay. Um, he was a drunk, you think? He, or, yeah, well, for, highly functional. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Highly, highly functional. And um, so it was brutal. So I would go back and forth between my mom's house and my dad's house. My dad wasn't really aware of what was occurring over at my mom's house, right? Because, you know, you're, you keep a secret. And he, mm -hmm. he would very much, meaning my stepdad, be like, don't tell anyone, mm -hmm. you know, this is your fault, this kind of thing. Yeah. And the, um, the unraveling of that later on was mm -hmm. like, wow, it's not my fault. He, he yeah. obviously had some problems. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Did you, first of all, I want to say, I'm sorry that happened to you. Sure. From the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry that happened to you. I hear that a lot in recovery. I've been in recovery for a while and I work with a lot of um, men and yeah. I hear a lot of fist steps. Yeah. And there's three parts of the fist step. There's, uh, well, the, I mean, the four step, there's three parts of the four step. And then I hear it in the fist step. We talk about their fears. We talk about their uh, resentments. And then we talk about their sex conduct. And a lot of the men that I work with, when we get to the sex conduct, a lot of stuff comes up like that from childhood. And sure. we start to go through it and analyze it. And, you know, we kind of get to the part where, you know, we, I, I talk to these young men and I'm like, you know, I'm sorry that happened to you, but what do you think your part was in all that? And a lot of times they sit there and they don't answer me. They just are quiet. They just stare at me. And I'm like, okay, here's the deal. Your part was nothing, brother. Amen. You were six. Yeah. Or you were nine. Right. You had no part in that. That's right. And your responsibility is, is, is zero. Amen. And, and I'm so glad that you do that. Please continue. Yeah. And yeah. I just want to make that clear to them because I think they get so lost in their own head and have been lost in their own head. I sponsor guys usually between like 25 and 75. So, mm -hmm. so that means that these guys that I'm working with have been lost in their own head about PTSD and trauma and drama from their childhood for decades and decades and decades and decades. And you've heard the term uh, overthinking things. Mm -hmm. I've, I've worked with a lot of guys that have overthought things, especially things that might've happened to when they were six or nine or 11 or 13 at summer camp or uncle Joe's house or some rando stranger across the street. Yeah. And, or a babysitter. I had a babysitter, yeah, a female can, girl. It can be your older like, brother. It can you. be your little sister. It can be, it can be anybody that can yeah. approach you in a weird or a wrong way. And, and, and it just does a lot of damage to people. But, the good news is that I want to put out to the listeners is uh, a lot of the people that I've worked with, uh, it, it, is, it is redeemable. It is recoverable. You can get through it and you can be happy, um, but there is work to be done and, and, and stuffing it inside and trying to uh, pretend like it didn't happen or pour alcohol over it to like put anesthesia over it. It works for a while. But then at some point it stops working, but you That's can right. recover from it. Do you agree with that? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. One hundred percent. And I'm going to, you know, second everything that you just said mm -hmm. for anyone that's out there that's had any type of uh, trauma like that. Yep. It was not your fault, period. Hard stop period, hard stop and mm -hmm. absolutely recovery. Like I am no longer the residual effects of my stepfather's ignorance, mm -hmm. you know, today that's for sure. And it did, it took a lot of work to uh, wrap my head around all of that. However, my uh, problems and successes are current today. You know, yeah. my stepdad is way no longer on my fourth step inventory process at all. If anything, um, everything on when I 
because I, I review the steps every year. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's current. So I, I uh, concur with what you say, for sure. I appreciate that. It's good that we're on the same page with that. I wanted to ask you a question about alcohol. When you, when were your first conscious thoughts about alcohol when you were a child and, and you became aware of it? Were you scared of it? Were you curious about it? Did you want to do it? Mm-hmm. What, what were you thinking? Um, that's another great question. Well, you know, be it that my mom was European, I really don't know when my first drink was. Um, <laughs> yeah, you you know, maybe in the womb. <laughs> I mentioned in the womb. Yeah. Um, however, in real life, uh, moment to moment, there was always at dinner, my mother would have a, a wine on the table and yeah. things of that nature. So I don't know when my first actual drink, drink, I'd sip, sipped it now and then as yeah. a little girl and things mm-hmm. of that nature. And then, of course, growing up in New Orleans, you know, if you can look over the bar stool, they'll, yeah. they back in the day, they would they would serve you up mm-hmm. um and i really uh indulged if you will like we all did in new orleans in high school a lot um we I had a great time let me tell you there was a lot of tragedy tragedy in my family but my family was also a lot of fun you yeah, know yeah, i yeah. mean you know alcoholics and drug addicts and yeah. so on and so forth are very colorful people i mean it is named the betty ford center you know mm-hmm. she was the wife of a president so yeah you know, it, it affects everyone not just the bum on the street but uh, the ceo to the to the whatever and so for myself in new orleans there was so much fun uh that we would have on the weekends we were partying on the weekends like you would in college Mm -hmm. and uh we had a great time and um so i actually did inevitably uh go to my dad's house and uh live with him and he got custody of me Mm -hmm. and my mom left and went to new york uh because joe ended up going to prison in florida for um white collar crimes, mm-hmm. um, all involved with Edwin Edwards and, you know, it's in the seventies and all this mm-hmm. and, uh, got out of there, wrote another book for random house and, um, then moved up to New York with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but during that time I, I went to go live with my dad and, you know, he would play flamenco music and blues and his, his practice was really thriving at that time. He had a full hospital practice, mm-hmm. full office practice. And it was really interesting. It was fascinating having a father as a psychiatrist. You know, mm-hmm. I know about Jungian archetypes and Freudian psychology. And, uh, my grandfather was knighted as, uh, a psychiatrist in Europe for his work with psychiatry and inevitably my mother as i had mentioned earlier with her alcohol Mm -hmm. she died an alcoholic so for me i really don't care what your phd your md your a b c d e f g all the way to z is at the end of your name you know the disease of alcoholism and addiction can affect everyone and inevitably what happened with my my dad because he was trying to keep it all afloat god love him Mm -hmm. Uh, with a second marriage, a uh, new baby was on the way and uh, trying to raise two daughters as well. Mm-hmm. Full practice, as I had mentioned. And then um, there was a, a lawsuit that had happened against the hospital and they weren't giving proper care to his patients. Mm-hmm. That's a long story. I won't go into it right now. But he started popping the Dexedrine like they did back what? in the day in medical school. What's that? Is that speed? It is speed. Yeah, for real. And, um, you know, and he had the highest of intentions. Mm-hmm. Don't we all? right if let me just have a drink and have a good time isn't that where it starts 
hearts. Yeah. And then you have another one and another one. And, uh, you know, let me just take these pills to stay awake. Look at Elvis Presley, right? Uh-huh. That he's popping the pills, popping the pills, keeping it going, keeping it going, keeping it going. Yeah. But then with what happens with addiction is that people cross over to the other side. Mm-hmm. And that loving, amazing doctor that people adored, my dad helped a lot of people, yeah. uh, turned into a full-blown amphetamine addict and it was brutal. Um, wow. And so instead of learning about uh, Jungian psychology and fun ways, right? Yeah. Every day I was being psychoanalyzed left, right, and center if I just moved a coffee cup and he built a gun gallery underneath the bedroom floor and was shooting guns. I mean, yeah. took the cat out in the backyard, blew its brains out, this kind of stuff. And that was not my dad. My dad really was a beautiful, loving, kind man. And most addicts and most alcoholics really, really are. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the difference between the addiction in them, the Mm -hmm. spirit of that addiction in them and the human being. These are two totally different things. So I ended up leaving home at about 15, 16 years old and getting myself emancipated because sorry for the vernacular folks. Can we curse on this thing? Uh, I got a clean rating. Okay, a clean rating. So I'll do the blank, blank, blank. You know, I got really tired of being called a worthless piece of blank, blank, blank. Mm -hmm. You stupid little blank, blank, blank. I can't believe you blank, 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 blank. Every other day. And I'm like, I'm done with this. At and 15, so you're like, I'm yeah, out. Yeah, you know, so here I am with all sorts of potential and so on and so forth. And um, you know, I I had no idea who I was. And that again, that that those those we kids don't come with an instruction book. Yeah. Right. And parents don't intentionally mean to do that. Uh-huh. Especially if they have drugs and alcohol on board. You know, they call it spirits for a reason, and I'm saying this metaphorically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, those spirits come in. And they override the person. They override the human being. They override the love of the parent. Yeah. And then, and metaphorically speaking as well, it's like a demon comes in. And yeah. demon, a demon fell upon our house yeah. and it blew us all up. And our family never has really recovered since, you know. Yeah. And uh, They say time heals all wounds, but I'm just going to go... I may be wrong and I might be right about saying this, but I don't know if I agree yeah, with that. Go ahead. I don't know if I agree with that. Time heals I've, all wounds. I've been told that. And I, you know what? I'm 50. And yeah. guess what? I'm not sure if that's if totally that's true. I'm not sure if that's totally true. And you can disagree with me, listener, or you can agree with me, but I'm 50 years old and I've been through some things and I've been told that, and I've been through a lot of recovery and done a lot of work, but, um, I won't go any specific details, but um, <laughs> I'm just not sure if that colloquialism that says that time heals all wounds is accurate. Um, when did you get going on it? Like, when did you start to feel and enjoy it and crave it and realize that it was something that you might want to be involved in? Uh, that was in uh, definitely in high school in okay. New Orleans yeah. in high school. Okay. And, um, and so it was, a, it was, uh, it was great. I mean, it was, it, 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 <laughs> it helped. Yeah. And so when I had um, finished out leaving my dad's house mm-hmm. and um, I was at a, a, I was attending a school named Louise S. McGee, which is kind of like Hockaday here in Dallas. Yep. Um, but my senior year of high school, I had my own apartment and I was working as a waitress and had gotten a scholarship to finish out that senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, did, I completed it. And uh, a lot of alcohol throughout all the, you know, drinking and fun 
but I hadn't crossed the line yet. And then um, my mom had given me some money to then go to New York Mm -hmm. um, to visit with her. And then I went to go live in Paris actually after high school. Yeah. So I was very fortunate in in life in regards to travel Uh, during the summers would go uh, to Europe with my grandmother and um, I've been everywhere. I've been Africa, Australia, uh, all throughout Europe, Central America, Mexico, Mm -hmm. um, Virgin Islands, Canada, LA, you know, I've lived in a number of different cities from, well, I've already mentioned Dallas. I've lived in Dallas, New York, LA, um, Vancouver, Canada, Paris, France, San Jose, Costa Rica. Uh, and what I found from that is that wherever you go, there you are, mm-hmm. there you are. And, um, that journey of really discerning is alcohol going to work for me anymore, yeah. uh, really began when I was in Los Angeles. So after I came back from Paris, what happened is I went from Paris, uh, back to new Orleans. And then I trekked all throughout Central America, Mexico, learning Spanish and all sorts of things. With who? Uh, a, a really good friend. Yeah. And uh, we were in, uh, first we started off in Guatemala and uh-huh. then flew down, flew down to Costa Rica yeah. and then lived there for about a month, month and a half. Yeah. And then Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Honduras, Guatemala, and all the way through Mexico. That, that wow. part of the country is just really amazing. Yeah. And then from there uh, left and I then went to Los Angeles mm-hmm. and uh, very much wanted to pursue the, the entertainment industry and, you know, follow pursuit of my family in Norway that same that same deal Mm -hmm. and I was really grateful because I didn't um, I had some success out there Mm -hmm. and uh, was on different sets of like the Drew Carey show Jerry Cohen Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't actually I wasn't hired by Sony Uh, Mm -hmm. I knew Jerry and I was trained in a lot of different ways in regards to just learning from him he was a director for that show Mm -hmm. and um, learned a lot about the industry out there Mm -hmm. and the music industry as well was part of a singing group and so Mm -hmm. on and so forth and did not um, play the game Mm -hmm. very grateful that I can look myself dead in the eye Mm -hmm. right I was out there because I loved the art yeah. And I didn't want any part of the business. I'm mm-hmm. not for sale. There's yeah. a lot of that stuff that goes on out there and they were messing with the wrong girl. Yeah. I could really give a hoot if you were Mr. So-and-so and saying, yeah. oh, so little girl, I'm Mr. So-and-so and I can give you a part in a movie. And I was like, oh, Mr. So-and-so, I'm half American and half Viking and don't bring that BS right here, you yeah. know? So <laughs> um, it was in Los Angeles when uh, I started on the Al-Anon program and was really, really grateful um, because Al-Anon, I'm, I'm an AA, I'm an Al-Anon, uh-huh. I'm an ACOA. And for those that don't know, for the family members of the a- addict and the alcoholic, the alcohol, the Al-Anon program is very, very helpful because the alcoholic is focused on the alcohol or the drug addict is focused on the drug and the Al-Anon is then focused on the alcoholic. So everyone's addicted, right? And so I had to learn how to take my hands off. Um, I had to learn how to take my hands off of my mother. I had to learn how to take my hands off of my father. Um, You know, we grow up as adult children of alcoholics and so much happens and you have all of these emotions and feelings, but then at the same time, you see your parents suffering and you want to help them. And then you have to learn, you cannot save anyone but yourself. I bet that was in the top two or three hardest things you've ever done in your life. Oh my God. Yeah. It's one thing putting down a drink it's a whole different world putting down a person yeah period i, I think that a lot of people um that make the approach to al-anon when you start telling them stuff like that they, they don't want to hear that or they don't understand mm-hmm. what you're talking about it's scary to them yeah what, what got you well that's probably not the best question i was going to ask you yeah. what got you in enough pain to 
seek out Al-Anon, but you've already told us your story, so I understand why you're in enough pain to, to approach Al-Anon. But, but how did you get there? Did, did you ask somebody about it or somebody told you or you like broke down one day and had a nervous breakdown and be like, I think I got to go to Al-Anon? I mean, how did you get there? Yeah, that's it. That's great. Um, I Through someone first, I'd learned about uh, AA and uh, then through that, learned about Al-Anon. I don't really quite remember the exact. This was back in the 90s. Yeah. And so I don't exactly remember how the whole thing happened. Yeah. But I, um, in regards to... Um, uh, the chicken or the egg, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had left Los Angeles and had moved up to Vancouver, Canada uh, okay. to do a lot of therapy around my stepdad because okay. all my memories came back. Okay. Well, you had suppressed them for a long time. Yeah. Able to isolate them. And then one day they came and rolling then, back. Boom. And they I destroyed mean, you. Yeah. Oh, I was leveled. Yeah. I was leveled. All of a sudden it's like pop, 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 pop. And wow. then you have all these memories and it's what? like, what is that? What? And yeah. You, oh my God. That's. So I was really uh, very fortunate. There's a, uh, the Fox family. If any of you guys are listening up there in Vancouver, British Columbia, I love you so much. I love British Columbia and Vancouver as well. Wonderful. Right. I lived with them, stayed with them and did an uh, intensive therapy program. Thank you God for the Canby street bridge. um, Because I would run up and down that bridge Uh because you got to get it out of you. Right. For anyone that's out there that has suffered in any way, you got to get it out of, your being uh-huh. get angry get mad get pissed off you know uh-huh. that's the things those were the things that i would drink at yeah and so in that therapy process i was like as i've mentioned this phrase earlier you know i'm no longer the effects of someone else's ignorance uh-huh. i am no longer the effect of someone else's ignorance but if i have a vibration within me of anger or resentment toward uh-huh. them uh-huh. then i'm the one who's continuing to pick up the bat uh-huh. and beat myself with it. Right. And it's important to get those emotions and those feelings out as well, yeah. right? And yeah. um, I did. I've, I've never been in the best shape. My <laughs> cute little derriere was yeah. yeah up and down those, yeah, it was a big bridge anyway. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but you need to, uh, you need to do the work, you know, and, and then you finally do recognize that no is a complete sentence. Your boundaries, you can put your, um, Dr. Savas, I, I'll never forget, she, she said, put your arms in front of you and your fingertips like this and make a circle uh-huh. and then you know wrap it around you and that that's your personal space uh-huh. i didn't know what she was talking about when we first started yeah i didn't have a clue yeah so we started from there uh-huh. and then from there i was like oh that's my personal space and oh no is a complete sentence and uh-huh. so on and so forth and um you know so then i went back down to la and uh-huh got involved with a program and then uh, went out. I had a year of recovery there and then decided, oh, I got this licked. So how did you, did you go to AA first or Al-Anon first? I went to Al-Anon first. I went to Al-Anon. And then when I was sitting there in the Al-Anon room, Mm -hmm. um, I started hearing the stories of the AA side, the, Mm -hmm. you know, what the alcoholic was doing and so on and so forth. And, um, I really was like, wait a minute, I think I am using this just like they're talking about. Like I I wasn't a daily drinker. I was like, you're periodic. I could drink on Fridays, Saturday, but then I couldn't tell you when I was going to finish out that drunk, if Uh you will. So I may tie tie one on the next weekend or something. But within me, I felt like I had definitely crossed some sort of line, Uh right? I didn't go at rehab. I didn't have a DWI, knock on wood. Thank you, goodness. Uh Um, But I definitely felt on the inside that 
I'd crossed some sort of line. So I'd gotten a year, but uh, I didn't really work the steps. Did, I was, you, did you ever have blackout drinking in your um, history? I, I did. There were a couple of nights where I woke up the next day and I didn't remember what had happened or what the things that I had said. You know, mm -hmm. you can tell when someone's really upset with you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, I think I, think I said something wrong. Yeah. You know, um, so I kind of like did step one. I'm powerless over alcohol. And then um, I did step 12. Let me go help everyone. Everybody, everybody go to 12 step. It'll oh, yeah. save your life. <laughs> but then I ended up going out and um, I took a huge road trip across country by myself. Um, I had a great time. I'm not going to tell you I had a bad time. Yeah. Drove from LA all the way to Savannah, Georgia, went mm -hmm. and saw friends along the way and, you know, drinking and driving that mm -hmm. whole nine yards. And mm -hmm. by grace of God, was able to make it. And then the plan was to go back through um, uh, Savannah down to Florida and then New Orleans and then back to LA. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was in New Orleans, this first time I talked to my dad in years mm -hmm. and he knew he's like, Vanessa, I, you know, I know you always want to go to college. I'm so sorry. And mm -hmm why don't you move back home? And I was like, oh my goodness, my dad's going to help me with college. Wow. Okay. How old were you at that point? Yeah. So now at this point, I'm in my latter twenties. Okay. I'm in my, and I always wanted to go to college. It's mm -hmm. just something, it just wasn't in the game of cards for me after high school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so moved back and then sure enough, you know, as it would have it. And he, again, great person. Mm -hmm. He reneged on that. And there I was in new Orleans okay. and I ended up getting a scholarship and mm -hmm. going to Tulane and, Oh, wow. Um, inevitably, yeah, it was a, it was a great school. There was a journey before Tulane. I mean, first I started it. Um, how did it go? First it was Tulane, pardon me, Tulane night school, mm -hmm. then Loyola. Mm -hmm. Then I got a national honorary scholarship, uh, given to me by representative Pepe Bruno. Uh, he must've been drinking, picked me out of a list of people. Yeah. And, uh, then hurricane Katrina hit. Right. Okay. And so, um, uh, from I ended up getting sober again though in New Orleans. I think that, that that's really important to mention. So um, going to meetings and stuff, you got back into it. Well, yeah. So what happened is that um, after my dad reneged on helping me out with school, you mm -hmm. know, I was hitting it, and I'm in Ground Zero, yeah, right? This yeah. is New Orleans, scene of the crime, scene of the crime, <laughs> all the stuff. And uh, as a result, I um, I was drinking one night and um, heavily and having a great time. And we were driving down Chapatola Street. We went to FNM Patio Bar because in New Orleans you bar hop, you go from place to place to place. And mm -hmm. I had my best friend and my cousin in the car, and I was doing the one eye action. Mm -hmm. The one eye action always saved my butt. <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah. And um, however, that one what eye action. What do you mean action, by that? Because some of our drink, or some yeah, of our listeners know. are not going to know what that so means. So when you're, I do not do not purport at all for anyone to. Drink drink and drive, do not drink and drive, do not drink and drive. I'll say it again. Do not drink and drive. Do not text and drive, by the way, folks, to the best of your ability. Mm -hmm. um, the one eye action is when you can close one eye and you can drive down the street and the lines stay straight. So then you stay straight. Uh -huh. But that night, the lines weren't staying straight. Yeah. And I knew I was in a hot mess. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this voice just kind of came in and it said, are you done? Are you done? And I knew in that minute, I was either gonna go right or I was gonna go left. I was either gonna do what my mom did, do what my dad did, or I was gonna really do the deal. And so anyone in recovery who's had time and gone back out, God love you because it's not wasted time.
because you know where to go. You know where the bunker is from the war of this life, the difficulty. Whether you're the Al-Anon, whether you're the ACOA, whether you're the, the, <laughs> the addict on any level with anything, pick your poison today. There are bunkers for you to go to, to get out of it, to learn how. And so the next day I called up and I said, I need help. I need help. Please help me. Called the AA central office in New Orleans Mm -hmm. and uh, started. And I didn't just do step one and then step 12. What did you say to the guy that answered the phone at the New Orleans central office? What did you say to that guy? I said, help me, please. I had a year of recovery in Los Angeles, California. I've been drinking and Mm -hmm. I need to know where a meeting is. Where Mm -hmm. can I go? Mm -hmm. Where can I go? And I went and I listened and I cried Mm -hmm. and all of the above, right? And I finally opened my ears up to something better than what my own little itty bitty mind was telling me Mm -hmm. to do. You know, because when you drink at something, when you use drugs at something, it doesn't solve it. The only thing that solves it is if you do a deep dive right into it. Two phrases, bring it and I'm all in. What you got? okay, yeah, this is painful. Okay, yeah, this is scary. Okay, yeah, this hurts. Yeah, it does. But dude, then when you do that, instead of having that phrase we have in recovery all the time, temporary solutions with permanent problems, Mm -hmm. right? When you actually look at something, you are then in the domain of permanent solutions with temporary problems. And it's for real. And back to that phrase that you had said that time heals all wounds and so on and so forth. And perhaps it doesn't work. Um, I'm going to agree to disagree. I know. And and after I said that, I was like, you just put that down on on wax, Mike. But let me explain my... Let me explain myself a little bit further. Yeah, go ahead. And then you can retort or disagree, sure. agree, disagree. So, uh, so far in this podcast, I've been the uh, the interviewer guy, and I haven't talked a ton about myself. Uh, and I'm not sure how much, you know, I'm only in my fifth episode, so I really don't know how much I want to reveal about myself. Sure. You know, and how deep I want to go. Sure. Uh, so um, I'm trying to decide right now if I want to speak about it in a general way and what I meant by that. Okay, I'll just say it. Here's the deal. Okay, so when I was like uh, 24, 25 years old, my parents got divorced. Mm-hmm. And when you're 24 or 25, you're, you're kind of an adult at that point, right? Mm-hmm. And when my parents got divorced, they told me that, uh, you know, time heals all wounds, you're going to be okay. Uh, well, guess what? Now I'm 50 mm-hmm. and that family that mm-hmm. I had, which was my nuclear family, which is my birth mother, my birth father, my birth sister and me, which is our little four pack uh, died. And guess what? It hasn't come back. And so guess what? Those wounds aren't healed. And so I don't know if I believe in that statement. I got it. Because my family was exploded by divorce and time. And there was a wound and then time has gone. Yeah. And I'm not healed from that because, you know, my mom and dad at certain points had a large amount of disdain for each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is not pleasant. I understand. Which we spoke about earlier. And uh, my mom is happily remarried now, which is great. I love my stepdad, Bruce. Shout out to Bruce if you're out there listening. Hey, Bruce. Love you, Bruce. Woot, woot. Yeah. And love my dad, Mike. And I love my mom, Diane. I love everybody involved. But my experience on this planet so far, in particular to that situation, is yeah. time has not healed that wound. 
I understand. I understand. You you can say what you want to say now. Sure. Absolutely. And so for those of you that have never worked the steps in um, Alcoholics Anonymous, they or Al-Anon or ACOA or any of it, uh, we have these steps. One, two, and three are basically, I can't, God can, I need to let him. Step four is an entire inventory of everything. If you don't have if a person doesn't have safe passage in your mind, it needs to be on that inventory list. If you can't think of a person without peace of mind, you got to write it down. And then that fifth step is you're sharing it with your sponsor. So now you get to hear it. There's something about writing it down. And then there's something about actually hearing it. And then six and seven are your character defects, your character assets, you bring in God, you know, try to help remove the things that no longer serve you. And then eight and nine are, you know, we go, we make a list of people. We just have to be willing to do this. First, you make a list of the people that you want to make amends to. And then nine is going to make amends with them, um, all of them on that list. And and the step nine process is also a forgiveness process because I learned on the ACOA side and the Al-Anon side particularly, and also um, in the AA side, but really this, the forgiveness part really came in a lot with Al-Anon and ACOA for me um, of myself, of myself, right? And that, um, and, uh, you know, put my name at the top put my name at the top along with others. And um, I was very fortunate in uh, in my years and in my training. Um, I, I'm a mindfulness instructor and uh, life coach and things of that nature today. Along with that, though, I give a lot of credit to a man named Azim Kamisa. Mm-hmm. He was one of my uh, trainers uh, back in the day. And um, he forgave the killer of his only son. Uh, his name was Tarek Kamisa. He was killed by a 13-year-old gang member in San Diego, California. You can Google it. Um, uh, it's the Tarek Kamisa Foundation. I sincerely, strongly suggest it because if he can forgive the killer of his only son, you know, I can forgive all of this other, all these other things that have happened. And um, we were in a maximum security prison in Sydney, Australia, uh, with a group of hardened criminals, uh, with a woman named Monique, who was there to confront the killer of her father mm-hmm. in front of 40 ma- maximum prisoners, security prisoners. Mm-hmm. I was one of four women in the room. Mm-hmm. And um, during my training with Mr. Kamisa and during these workshops on forgiveness and meditation and so on and so forth, seeing Monique forgive the killer of her own father, seeing Mr. Kamisa forgive the killer of his son. So much so to the point that with us was um, Ples Felix, the killer's grandfather. So Mr. Kamisa basically joined forces with the grandfather of the killer of his son and said, we must practice forgiveness. We must practice clear communication. We must come together because a resentment truly is me drinking poison, expecting someone else to die and an eye for an eye and the whole world goes blind. Look at where our world is today because people will not get off it. Mm-hmm. And does it take something to get off it? You better believe it does to forgive the unforgivable, to love the unlovable, to let it go. Absolutely. It's one of the problems. Listen, I'm all about you going to therapy. I'm all about you seeing you shrink. I'm all about you learning about what happened and the feelings and all that stuff. I'm all about it because we have to know the enemy, right? I have to know what I I need to overcome. And then there's a point when I need to get off of it. I need to get on with it because that thing that happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, Mm -hmm. it's over. 
And if I'm still holding that frequency on the inside of me, mm-hmm. I am the only one who is then suffering. Yeah, you, is that does that apply to the term radical forgiveness? Is radical, that, is that what you would say? radical forgiveness. I mean, and for those of you that are out there, if you have a spiritual practice, this isn't about religion here. For me, I needed to call upon God. I needed to call. This is just for myself. I called upon Jesus, but I'm not talking about Jesus in a religious way. I'm talking about the frequency of love, like a master teacher who's up on a cross, who you know was forgiving these people as they were killing him. Forget the religion part. Let's just take the teaching in that. There's a man being nailed to a cross, only loving his killers while they're killing him. That's a master teaching coming from Azim Kamisa, forgiving Mm -hmm. the killer of his only son. And like, I mean, he really did it. Forgiveness is never for the other people. It's for me because everyone everywhere is earnestly trying to do the best they can with where they are, with what they've got and the tools that they have at that moment. Just like back when my mom had said, gosh, you know, leaving your dad was one of the worst things I could have ever done. If I could, if I had only known better, if I could have had some therapy, if I could have had some help, she's like, I still love your dad to this day. Right. Mm -hmm. And years later in my adult life, my dad very much told me how much he still loved my mother. And uh, when she had already had her alcoholic seizure and was in an assistant living home and all this, I asked him, I said, would you please come with me to come see my mom? Yeah. So I can have a memory of you and my mom together in in the room. This is like memory number three. Yeah. Yeah. And he did. And he went with me in there and, uh, you know, we walked down this long hallway and there was my mom just kind of rocking there in the cafeteria and her back was to us. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was holding my dad's hand and he was kind of shaking a little, you know, and, uh, we walked up to my mom and I said, mom, now mind you, this is a woman who could speak those four languages, five languages, pardon me. It's like French, German, uh, Italian. She was brilliant. And she went from that to basically saying, can I have a cup of coffee? Yeah. Can I have a cup of coffee? Can I have a cup of coffee like this, right? Because mm-hmm. of the alcoholic seizure. And um, and sure enough, I said, mom. And my mom turned around and she saw me and she saw my dad. And uh, my dad's name was George. Mm-hmm. And uh, only thing my mom could say as soon as she saw him, George. George, 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 George. And she looped on George for like 15 minutes. Wow. And my dad just broke down. Yeah. Broke down. This is the effects of drug and alcoholism Mm -hmm. untreated where people genuinely love each other mm-hmm. and families are blown apart when they don't have the tools to be able to get off it, get on with it and just love each other because isn't that what it's really all about? Mm-hmm. And in that moment, my dad was like, Oh dear God, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Wow. What a powerful moment. Powerful. So the three of us mm-hmm. for once got to sit in a room yeah. Me, my mom, and my dad. Yeah. Only filled with love. No one calling anybody's names. No yeah. one calling on the lawyers. No one trying to do anything. Mm-hmm. The three of us in a room 
together in harmony. What a blessing. What a blessing. What a beautiful memory. And so later for the forgiveness, I understand forgiving, you know, these teachings, whether Christian, all the other, it doesn't matter. We have these teachings of forgiveness. You know, I can see the speck in somebody else's eye, but I better look at the plank that's in my own. Mm -hmm. If I'm pointing my finger at someone, we know that expression, I have three fingers pointing back at me. Mm -hmm. There but the grace of God go I, right? God, help me forgive this help me get off it because if i keep looking at someone from a past context Mm. i miss the present love that they're trying to give me because i'm sitting on a resentment showering my vision of them current time Mm -hmm. right if my parents had had the skills and the tools that they had later in life Mm -hmm. when they were trying to raise us and do all this stuff it would have been a whole different world you know but think about it your parent are my parents 18 19 20 21 22 23 24 25 i mean i don't Mm -hmm. know about y'all but we're still babies during all these years right and things happen and even when they do get older if people grow apart or things you know go one way and people change through life they change and they evolve and sometimes they evolve in different ways and that's when i don't need to be playing god because if someone needed to evolve in a different way than mm. i see fit that's where Alanon comes in it's not my business it's not my business what they do it's not my business if they're if they continue to drink it's not my business if they continue to use we also learn in Alanon, you know that uh, you can say it once or twice wow you're drinking really bothers me or that really bothers me that's it so just in case they do die you have the consciousness that you tried to do something to try to help them okay, right yeah but then after that i got to get off it yeah. i got to keep my mouth closed right because the only person who got me to stop drinking was me the only person who got me to Al-Anon was me. Yeah. The only person that had me read through all the ACOA literature and everything else I've read through was me. The training that I did with Camisa was me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. No one could have made me do that. And so as we were talking about in the beginning, you know, it's one thing putting down a drink. It is a whole different universe putting down a person. And the epitome of love is loving someone right where they are, mm-hmm. But most importantly, loving them right where they are not. And that actually came from the Dalai Lama. Um, When I was living in Los Angeles, we went through the entire Heart Sutra with him, Mm -hmm. myself and 300 other people, mind you, right? Mm -hmm. It was one of my greatest losses with Hurricane Katrina, um, uh, losing that book because I had so many notes. But the main point out of that book was that phrase that I just said, Mm -hmm. there is no condition in love. You only love. period. And so anything that is the condition, God, remove it from me now, right now, right now, because those are the things that I would drink at. Mm -hmm. And then even if you're not drinking anymore, then you'll use it on something else. Maybe you're using social media. Like what is everybody doing on social media, being the way that they're being with other people? You don't even know this person. Mm -hmm. Or traffic. Talk about people going unconscious in traffic, that person really didn't mean to cut you off. Maybe they didn't even see you. Yeah. But now we're going into paradigms of the egoic mind, right? Which the steps are very helpful with seeing the egoic mind. When you do a fourth step inventory, mm-hmm. you're not looking at you. You're looking at the dis-ease, the disease. The disease of alcoholism and drug addiction mm-hmm. is a mental, mental folks, mental, physical craving, 
and spiritual malady, the mental malady. It's a dis-ease. So you take the word disease and you splice it in half, dis-ease. So bring it. Step four, where is my dis-ease that is within me, that little spirit, the little S, Mm -hmm. evil, it's evil that is within me or within my family. Not your fault, not my fault. We're talking about frequencies here. We're talking about vibrations here. We all know this vibration. We walk into a room, two people have just had an argument, but you didn't hear them argue, right? Mm -hmm. But you have a feeling like, whoa, something just happened in here, right? Oh, that's a feeling. That's a frequency. And if we hold those frequencies within ourselves, who's suffering? I am. No wonder why the whole world's trying to anesthetize, right? Because it's not pleasant having those feelings inside of us. But when we have the courage to really inventory that dis-ease, we get freedom. Dude, I am free. Like in this day, I sincerely send love to my stepdad. He's dead now. Mm-hmm. He's in heaven. God bless. Oh my goodness. Talk about having a bad day. Mm-hmm. Grown man. Dude, what's wrong with you? A little girl. What? Are you like out of your mind? But yeah, they, that's called unconscious. Mm-hmm. It's unconscious when a man beats a woman. It's unconscious when women are screaming at men. It's unconscious. It's unconscious when people on social media are arguing on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? Over what? And then all you're doing is sitting there feeling awful and yucky. Mm-hmm. Be mindful. Be aware. I actually really don't like the term mindful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, pers- I, I prefer the word presence. So, you know, in recovery, we have a step 10 where we do our, our, our inventory, our daily inventory. So we've gone through all of one through um, eight and nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. And then we get to 10 because then we're doing a daily inventory where we're wrong, where we're right, so that we can keep up to, up to, up to date, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. And then step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. Conscious conscious contact with god god love harmony love and tolerance is our code that's the next question i have for you on the list so i'm going to read something called a mid-roll read real quick which is just a couple of quick announcements about the podcast and i'm going to preview the question i'm going to hit you with when we come out of this mid-roll read so my next question to you is going to be how is your meditation life and what styles and forms are you using but here comes the mid-roll read first I want to take a quick break here to let everyone know that our website, SoberShares.com, is up and running. Our website is going to be the home base for SoberShares community. I'm so excited for you to see all the cool features that have been baked into the website. You can listen to all of our episodes, join our email list, and make a financial donation to us via uh, clicking the PayPal link or the donate button at the top of the website. This website has been optimized to look great on and perform well on mobile websites like your phone or iPad, or desktop computers. You can see all of our show reviews that have been collected from across the internet. You can also send me an email directly by clicking the contact us page, or you can just hit me up directly at mike at sobershares.com. I'm waiting to get my first email from you guys out there as a listener. So I'm on episode five and nobody's emailed me yet, and I would like somebody to email me. So hit me up at mike at sobershares.com. You can also reach, um, reach us on all of our social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, via our website. The little clickable links are on there. One of the coolest features is to leave us a voicemail button. It's on the bottom right-hand corner of the site, 
and it's a little blue circle with a picture of a white microphone on it. All you have to do is click this little button and you can record a voicemail for us on our website. And my goal is to play some of these back on future episodes. If you leave us a voicemail, you may hear yourself on a future um, listener feedback episode of Sober Shares. That's enough information about the website for now. I'm just so excited. And it's a brand new tool for you to use. It's first class all the way and it works perfectly. So go check it out. Now let's turn our attention back to our guest and ask her about her meditation life and what styles and forms she is currently using. Uh, thank you so much for asking that. It's my favorite topic, uh, be it that I am a mindfulness instructor. And um, as a result of that, uh, went in and did a deep dive study on this part, right? I'd already mentioned Azim Kamisa. Mm -hmm. um, so I need to back up just a little bit. Uh, when I was going through my university um, process, as I had mentioned, it took nine years to do it on and off, right? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I had ended up with that scholarship at Tulane University. And as I had mentioned, Hurricane Katrina hit. And yeah, tell us a little bit about that before we get into the meditation. You sure. were living there at the time? And yeah. How horrifying was that? Did oh. you evacuate the city or did you stay? I did. So what happened was I had an opportunity of a lifetime to go to Africa. Yeah. Uh, okay. It was an opportunity. And I'm like, yes, go Vanessa. Right. Yeah. So I didn't even know that the storm was coming. I'd been in Kenya and Tanzania and then over in the Seychelles Islands. And then um, I had a, a on the way back, um, had a layover in Paris and another one in New York. Mm -hmm. And I heard rumblings of a storm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, do I get on the plane? What do I do? And the, and the, the, per, the person at the airline, God love them, they didn't know. They were like, yeah, get on the plane. You're fine. Everything's good. It's just a storm. I was like, okay. So I actually flew into New Orleans <laughs> that <laughs> Friday night, right? Oh my yeah. And uh, sure enough, uh, the next day, you know, uh, my friends are calling. Oh my goodness, you're back. And we're going to have a hurricane party. Come over for dinner and all mm -hmm. this. Literally, that was kind of like the mindset. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, hold on, hold on. Let me go get a cup of coffee. I'm not really quite sure what I'm going to do i just try to get back on central standard time right mm -hmm. and uh, love you guys look forward to it and there are only two times in my life when i've heard a voice mm -hmm. you know you want me on your team i'm very grounded <laughs> and the second time that i heard that voice the first time when i was driving drunk and you know are you done mm -hmm. it was distinct mm -hmm. and this is the second time uh that the voice came in if you will um and i'm standing in line ordering up uh my cup of joe mm -hmm. i'm trying to figure out what to do you know and i'm tired and then um all this news is coming in and people in the coffee shop are talking about it all and i hear this voice and it says you're to do what the girl behind the counter is going to do. With no, no, wait, pardon me. Um, uh, ask the girl behind the counter what she's going to do with the storm. And you're to do it. And I stop. <laughs> I, turn, I turn around. Yeah. And I mean, no one was there. No one was there. And the hair went up on the back of my neck. Yeah. And so I went up to the front, and sure enough, I did. I you know, get my coffee, and I was just, you know, I was just wondering, what are you, what are you going to do with the storm coming in? And that girl looked at me dead in my eye, and she said, "My mom and I are packing a bag after I get off of work, and we're getting out of town." 
Uh-huh. And you better do the same thing. She said that to you? Dead in my eye. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, holy smoke, man. I was like, oh, I got the goose pimples on my arms. Oh my I was like, God. what? Called all my buddies. I'm like, no one to stay. I'm leaving. We're leaving. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, that's, so I called some other friends in Baton Rouge. Is it okay if I come stay with you guys? They're like, sure. And even then, you know, I thought I'm going to be back soon. Yeah. So I just went home, packed a little bag, you know, yeah. happened to grab my jewelry box. Not that there was all the stuff in the jewelry box but yeah. nonetheless yeah. popped in some stevie ray vaughn in my car mm-hmm. and drove the normal hour to baton rouge mm-hmm. and that was that still again thinking i'd be back at the end of the week and that was that sure enough that sunday the next day was the onslaught when everybody was leaving yeah. uh that monday she hit that tuesday it was all gone you know there is not a u-haul behind a hearse yeah there is not a U-Haul behind a hearse. Mm-hmm. It can all be gone in a second, and it was. And in this situation, there wasn't a stay home. There was no home to stay in. Mm-hmm. There was no city block. There was no city. Mm-hmm. There were no communities. Wow. All communities are gone. Cell phones went down. I didn't know if my mom and dad were alive or dead for two weeks. I didn't know where any of my friends were. It was total surrender. Total surrender. It was like a moment of complete samadhi, and I fell to my knees. Uh-huh. Dear God, help us all. Help us. Help me. Help me. Help me now, please. And I wanted a drink. Okay. And in that moment, I was, I don't know how many years sober, eight or nine, 10 years, whatever that time frame was. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, I know where I'm not going to be doing that because it doesn't matter how long you're sober for. I don't care about your time. Uh-huh. I care about your current time. Uh-huh. We are, we are sober contingent upon our spiritual condition. So what did you do in that I decision? called AA yeah. in Baton Rouge and yeah. I said, please tell me where is the meeting. And I went to a meeting. I said, I'm from New Orleans. I've just lost everything. I don't know where my family is. Mm-hmm. God, please help me. I'm craving alcohol. And I mean, they were on it. I got calls. I had people, are you okay? Yeah. Because drinking at life doesn't solve anything, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so I didn't know where anything was. But what I could do is that then LSU said that it would take on the Tulane students. Mm-hmm. So, you know, had lost everything that Monday, Tuesday, it was all gone. Not that Thursday, but by the following Thursday, I was enrolled at LSU uh, for the semester there. Mm -hmm. Um, Didn't know when I was going to be back at Tulane, listening to ethics from uh, uh, an ethics class of letters from an Alabama jail about Martin Luther King Mm -hmm. in my same jeans and T-shirt that Mm -hmm. I'd gotten to this to Baton Rouge in, Uh you know, shell shocked. Right. But you don't drink at life. And so in closing, you know, finally the, the city opened back up months later, started back at uh, Tulane uh, then, but the city was still a mess. Yeah. And so inevitably got here to Dallas and um, finished up at SMU. Mm-hmm. I finished up at SMU because UTD said I was an out-of-state student and I'd have to pay out-of-state tuition. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, heck, if I'm going to pull out the school loans for all of this, mm-hmm. you know, I might as well go to SMU. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I prayed to Allah, Jesus, Buddha, and Unga Bunga, mm-hmm. and Hala Hala when I signed on those school loans for that school. You know, mom yeah. and dad were not paying for me to go to school there. So um, yeah. but with kids who have that god bless you nothing wrong with that yeah um it's a great school southern methodist yeah. university is southern, what she's talking about yes uh here in dallas and so with that that's when i met mr camisa and back to your question in step 11 uh-huh. 
started the training uh, with him um, uh, during that time and also a deep dive training. I ended up graduating uh, in 09, uh, in my 30s. And um, so I finished uh, with a degree in international religious studies and also corporate communications and public affairs because I felt that we were in a global community. And if I was going to be speaking to someone in Japan, it might be a good idea for me to know about the Shinto religion Mm -hmm. Um, or not religion, pardon me, philosophy. yoga and things of that nature, right? So I went on to go get my um, yoga certification, mm-hmm. my mindfulness certification, certification through uh, Azim Kamisa and um, studied with a, a, um, Sensei Matsura uh, and I'm a Reiki master. People can do that, um, you know, out, off of YouTube. Oh, I'm a Reiki master. No, no, this <laughs> took me three years back and forth between Dallas and Sedona. She and her husband reside in Sedona and mm-hmm. um, she trained me extensively. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different art form. However, all of these things came together for the step 11 mindfulness part. There's even a center in Kaufman, Texas. It's called Vipassana. You can go for 10 days, mm-hmm. 10 days of silence, no phone, no speaking, no writing, no nothing. It's just you sitting on a Zafu, you mm-hmm. in your own mind getting a hold of not attaching to your thinking egoic mind. You know, that thing that tells you the story all day long and you're having a conversation with yourself when you're driving down the highway, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are powerful tools to detach. Detach from that thinking egoic mind and get into awareness. Awareness with whoever is listening to this right now, with wherever you are, even in this moment. Where are you? What room are you sitting in? What day is it? What time is it just right now in this moment? And if you would, please, dear listener, just take a deep breath. Inhale and exhale. And why is that important? It's your greatest teacher. Don't listen to me. Try it on for yourself. Your greatest teacher is your breath because it's only in the present moment. It's only here. It's only now. The past is over. It's done. Any frequency that you're truing on from your past is a waste of time. If you have some forgiveness work that you need to do there, go and do it. Go get yourself free. Unshackle yourself. It's not even your fault. The egoic mind will do anything. The mental malady of the disease will do anything to keep you in angst so that you'll drink at it, so that it will win. That little spirit, like Mm -hmm. I said, it's evil in a way. So that step 11 practice of surrender, surrender, let it all go over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Surrender every day, every moment into this moment because we're not promised tomorrow. This really is it. This is it. And when you tap into this, in this moment, in the step 11 practice, you're tapping into the emotional intelligence, the divine frequency that created not only my life, but your life. The essence that has that little tiny acorn grow into a vast, beautiful oak. Or how about that beautiful embryo within a mother's womb where you don't need to do anything at all to help it grow? For three months, thank God we don't even know what's happening because we might get up in there and mess it up. But it has its own divine emotional intelligence that we don't have to do anything to make it happen. We don't make this planet spin. 
We don't cause the stars to shine. Who are we to think that we're that? Are you kidding? I don't cause the currents and the oceans to go. There's a process. There's a flow to life. And the highest frequency is love, 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 love others as yourself and yourself as others love. There isn't even really a self, if you will, right? You're not Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so. Before you're your title or your money or your address, you are a human being. You are not a human doing. You are a human being granted this miracle of your life. Expect a miracle. Detach from the thinking mind that tells you you're worthless and not enough and you're never going to measure enough. If you don't have $10 million in the bank or you need another Ferrari, my goodness, I deeply appreciate Dallas. I deeply <laughs> appreciate LA. I deeply appreciate New York. However, living in these cities sometimes, are you kidding? Right? There's such a, such a teaching that you have to have all the stuff in order to be anything. No, I don't think so. I've learned more from the most sacred souls that were homeless sitting on a bench in the middle of a park or next to Central Market over on Lovers in 75 mm -hmm. than I ever did sitting across from some CEO who thinks he's Mr. Big Shot because he's got this big old title and that can go for women as well. We're not our titles. We can't take any of it with us. We are how we treat each other. That's who we are, especially how we treat our own selves within our, our own mind. And so that breath in closing that deep breath and that deep exhalation brings us to this present moment. It oxygenates your heart, which sends a positive frequency to your brain. And your brain goes, wow, the heart's oxygenated and will release natural hormones within your being, within your body, which will then lower your cortisol levels. And that's a good thing. You want to know why? Because when we have high cortisol levels, we're in high states of stress. High states of stress debilitate your immune system. Yeah, it's like the fight or flight response. You're kind of just stuck in that little area. You've done a tremendous amount of work, it sounds like, in the uh, seeking of knowledge on um, just the, the spiritual realm and the spiritual level. And uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, just wanted to let the, the listener know out there that we all are at different levels as far as our um, knowledge of, of this kind of stuff. And one, one of the, my favorite things about the program that, 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 that we are engaged in the 12 step program AA is that we realize that we don't have a monopoly uh, on all the uh, information that's out there in the world. And the, the, the big book, which is our, our manual and our text uh, basically um, directly uh, tells us that, that, that we can go outside of the program to, to research and to find additional information. And it talks about how, um, don't be foolish at saying that the great religions of time are uh, a treasure trove of information. And for thousands of years, people have, have gone through self-introspection and uh, self-searching to get closer to whatever higher power they are um, currently involved with. And, and I did that in early sobriety. I, got sober in Oceanside, California, and I started to uh, attend a Buddhist uh, temple in, um, in Vista, California. And that was really, really fun for me for about two years. I enjoyed it. I was there every Sunday and I was learning about Buddhism. And when I was in college, I went to college in Boston, Massachusetts. And um, I took a lot of great um, 
college courses there, and one of them was called the Philosophies of Eastern Religion. And so I studied all the great religions of time. So uh, East and West philosophy. So I encourage you to get out there. And the great thing about being alive today is the internet is a, is a it's a great place, but it's also a dangerous place. So be careful. But there's a lot of information out there on the internet that you can that you can pursue. Um, I wanted to ask you, what has been your toughest challenge in sobriety and how have the 12 steps uh, of recovery helped you deal with it? Um, definitely in the relationship area. The what? The boy girl stuff? The boy girl stuff. Um, you know, after you, yeah, forget all the others. Yeah, the boy girl stuff. My dad uh, recently died uh, last year, October, November, whenever that was. And uh, before he died, he granted me a, a big service. Um, there was a, a person that I was involved with, beautiful person. This isn't at him at all. Mm -hmm. Um, my dad, uh, in his final days did say to me, don't ever bring him back home, Vanessa, because he's me. Mm. Wow. And no, I will not accept your hand in marriage to him again because he had, and, um, what do you mean he had, I didn't understand that part. I had, I had been asked to be, he had asked my dad uh, for my hand in marriage. Uh-huh. And he and, said and yes. And at one time my dad said yes. Uh-huh. And then he's like, And oh. then right before my dad died, uh -huh. I guess, you know, you're running out of time. You might as well. He's like, <laughs> don't ever bring that boy back over here. He's me, you yeah, know? Yeah. And um, I'm saying this with a tremendous amount of love because, uh, my ex is, oh, I don't like calling him an ex. He's a human being. He's, mm -hmm. he's a beautiful person. And he was the perfect person for me to learn what I, I didn't want in a relationship. Mm -hmm. um, beautiful person. And I'm 100% responsible if I keep going back to something that doesn't work, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm 100% responsible. And when my dad did that, because he missed, what, 30 years of my life, he missed a lot of my life. Mm -hmm. Did you and tell your, did you tell your special man at the time that your dad had said that? Did you like, uh, no, we actually had separated okay. at that point. Okay. And, uh, so my dad didn't have anything to worry about. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, it took a while to untwine love and the dysfunction that can come with, um, uh, alcoholic behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying my previous person is one of us, mm -hmm. um, you know, alcohol and some other things were definitely involved, uh, through the years on and off. And, uh, you know, he asked me to marry him twice. Mm -hmm. So it's really, and again, what did you say? No, yes, maybe. What no, did you say? no. I said yes, both times. Yeah. And, uh, he had left and came back and then left again and came back and left again. And so I'm responsible for receiving it back again. Mm -hmm. Right. Once someone shows you who they are, believe them. <laughs> Right, uh, you know, and I've never again, heard that before. Say that again. Once someone shows you, once someone shows you who they are, believe them. And it doesn't mean that he's a bad person. He's a wrong person. He's, you know, he's, that could also be true in a good way, though, right? Yeah, and always right. And it's beautiful because everyone is right where they are, and everyone is right where they are not, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um. And just believe what you got going on, you mm. know, believe what you got going on. Uh, if <laughs> I'm a hundred percent responsible for what I choose, no yeah. one makes me feel any way. Yeah. No one does anything to me. I either give my power away or not. 
you know, and if you if you choose to be with someone who wants to have other periphery things on the side, mm-hmm. that's what you're choosing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to choose to pick up a drink, that's what you're choosing. Mm-hmm. If you want to choose to do a line of cocaine, that's what you're choosing until you want to not choose it anymore. And it doesn't mean that, you know, John Doe was a bad person or Mary Sue was a bad person. Mm-hmm. They were just the person that was there to teach you that particular lesson or not. You can keep going back and getting it mm-hmm. or you can choose to do something else. Right. It depends I, on what your tolerance for pain is. That's it. I've discovered in uh, sobriety that uh, I have a pretty high uh, um, tolerance for emotional pain. <laughs> it's getting less now as I start to love myself and respect myself more and move down the the path of sobriety, but I, I, I kind of realized uh, in hindsight that I have a pretty high tolerance for emotional pain. Uh, do you have any special advice for women who are entering the program or maybe entering the program soon? Anything that you would want to say to girls that might be rolling in pretty soon? Oh, yeah, completely just surrender into the process, and that goes to the guys as well. And just know how beautiful you are, both for men and women, right here, right now, in this moment. You are a miracle. You're amazing. You're a human being that's made mistakes, myself included. I am far from perfect. I have failed many times. I have had successes. I've had things in between. I've had no money. I've had money. All of the above, right? And to be really, really gentle on yourself it's a true spiritual warrior's path to take on the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous of also of al-anon and acoa these are sister brother programs of the Mm -hmm. 12 step there are many many 12 step programs um but to know uh to definitely just be gentle on yourself Mm -hmm. get a good sponsor that means someone who has actually journeyed through the 12 steps that knows the big book that knows the literature Um, And to surrender, to find something greater that is within yourself, a higher power. We do not advocate any type of religion. Again, as Michael has already mentioned, um, find something. You could call it the door handle, right? You could call it Jesus. You call it Buddha. Call it God. Call it, but call it. Mm-hmm. call it and um and just trust that these 12 steps can really they're 12 steps out of hell into heaven into mm-hmm. a fourth dimension a place of of consciousness a, a way of being where we don't what how does it go this isn't verbatim guys but it is in the big book where you know we don't um close the door on the past uh, we, we leave the door open right we learn from it um, and our life is really now forward. You know, the rear view mirror is smaller than the windshield for a reason, folks. I've never heard that before. It's not <laughs> where we've been. It's where we're going. The future life we're creating into right now, because I'm not promised tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, this is it. If anything, Hurricane Katrina taught me was that. Two things you can count on in life. Uh, you know, taxes and change, mm-hmm. <laughs> change. You got to learn how to roll with it. You got to learn how to roll with it and to forgive, forgive others, forgive yourself, even in regards to my, my ex or, you know, God bless, forgive, 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 and, and, and forgive my own self for my own mistakes. Yeah, We're all living and learning and growing together. That's it. There's so many spiritual tools, in my opinion, and in my experience as well. It's not only my opinion, but my experiences are so many tools that are available to to everyone, but especially to the newcomer. It just must be overwhelming to them when they start to come in and sit down and hear 
all these spiritually based tools. Um, I, I think about, well, I think about how shocking it must be for these people, these newcomers to come in and hear <laughs> somebody suggested them they should go to 90 meetings in 90 <laughs> days. Now, just to let the listener know, that is not a hard rule. There are, it doesn't say that anywhere in the big book. There's no signage that says anything about that, but you will hear a lot of talk when you get there. Uh, some people in some groups will probably maybe say to you, you know, we suggest you go to 90 meetings in 90 days. That's got to be quite shocking. Uh, you were talking about, you know, generally talking about living in the now. That is one of the, uh, and you were referencing that through your reference to the uh, windshield in front of you being bigger than the rearview mirror behind you. And so living in the now to me, what that meant for me when I got there, I was living what I used to call um, 21 day weeks. You know, I was living 21 day weeks. And what I mean by that is, well, first of all, where that got me was exhausted. You know, I was living 21 day weeks and that got me exhausted. So let me explain what I mean by that. What I mean by that is when I first got in the program, I had no idea what it meant to live in today or live in the present. What I was doing when I would wake up, even in early sobriety, when I wasn't drinking and doing drugs, I was sober in early sobriety. And I just would like wake up and I would have like regret over the past and I'd be like confused about what was going on today. And then I would also be super scared about what was going to be happening in the future. And like all of those thoughts are simultaneously running through my mind. So I'm living in the past, I'm living in today and I'm living in fear of the future. So my mind is just spinning like so, so fast and so much. And I, I didn't have the skill set yet or the focus through working the spiritual uh, program and having a spiritual experience and a profound personality change, which allowed me to gain access to the tool where I could, you know, get my mind to slow down a little bit and live in today. I just, I just realized that I needed help, you know, and I needed to give myself the gift of time, you know, give myself the gift of time and recovery and, and just allow my higher power and the program and the people that were trying to help me not just a few days to, to get me better and not just a few weeks to get me better, but maybe give me a few years to help me and allow them to help me. And, you know, now I'm at the point where I've given them a couple of decades plus to help me um, get to the point where I can uh, give myself the gift of time and, and live in the now. So that's what I mean. And guess what? I don't live those 21 day weeks anymore. Now, when I wake up, I don't regret yesterday because I'm clean with yesterday. I've been living a good life and I worked the 10th step and I'm clean and I don't have a fear of the future anymore because I trust God and I know he's going to take care of me. So all I really got to do is just kind of stay in today and live in the now and, and try to make the best possible decisions that, that I can make on a daily basis. And I still make mistakes, you know, it's kind of cliche, but progress, not perfection. And I'm doing a lot better now than, uh, than I did. As a, as a newcomer, I wanted to ask you, have you ever experienced depression or anxiety during your sobriety? And what did you do about it? Oh, my goodness. Yes, of course. Of course I have. Um, and, you know, naturally, people are not aware of the fact that sometimes low forms of depression can settle in and they're really quick to go and get on some sort of antidepressant and all that. And listen, I am a doctor's kid. You know, take your medicine as prescribed right? And also learn about these other things that you can, you can do. Um, there are some uh, the, the yoga, meditation, breath work, um, you know, there's some other uh, new age modalities uh, that you can go into, you know, pick what is going to be best, best for you. Um, for my own self, all of the above, 
right? I had to really dig deep on that. I'm not on any type of medication whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and if you are, that's fine because yes. you know if you are, that's fine because guess what? Uh, the people in recovery, like your sponsor or your, you know your girlfriend or whatever, guess what? She's not a doctor. Yes. You know, she might saw something on Google. Right. And <laughs> right. think that she knows some stuff. So I'm not against any of, of that that stuff. I'm not either. You do know, what you got to do. Medicine is there for a reason. Do whether what you pharmaceuticals, do. plant medicines, whatever your thing yeah, is. Yeah, Reiki. Tea, How do you say Reiki. is it? Reiki? Reiki. Yeah, that would work. Uh, chiropractic. Uh, chiropractic care. Healthy eating, healthy yoga, eating, stretching, yoga, walking, vitamins, whatever minerals, it is. Yeah. And, uh, all of the above, right. All of the above exercise, huge. Yeah. Got it. This is just for me. Yeah. Got to exercise. Mm-hmm. Got to get the blood flowing. Um, very, very, very helpful, uh, for sure as well. And then it passes, right? It passes. Okay. Um, yeah. And we never used to know that before we were drinking and drugging because we just medicated it with alcohol and drugs, right? Exactly. If I'm drinking at the problem, well, then I wake up in the morning hungover still with the problem. Yeah, yeah. But if I stop the alcohol and then dive a, do a deep dive with the steps and do the entire inventory process, it then I'm no longer drinking at the problem and the problem dissipates, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there is a way out of the hell. You just got to be willing to do the work and willing to put down whatever your your poison is mm-hmm. in order to get real with yourself, right? Totally, I agree. Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot that, um, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, is that um, so, so many of us use, are used, and some of us currently still are that might be listening, that we use alcohol or drugs as a um, medicine or an anesthetic for our emotional pain, our PTSD, whatever's going on with us, uh, we use that as a medicine and an anesthesia. And guess what? It works for a while. It even sometimes works really well for a really long time. And it works all the way up until the day that it doesn't. And on the day that it doesn't, you start doing things like drinking against your will, where you wake up in the morning and you say to yourself, I'm not going to drink today. Absolutely not. Yesterday was completely ridiculous. I acted a fool. Several things went wrong and I'm absolutely not drinking today. And then at some point, you know, for me, it was between 4.30 and 5.30 PM. Every day I realized, um, or at least my disease told myself that I had overreacted and that, um, I, uh, there's the, I used to tell myself, I was like, God, Mike, you're so dramatic, dude. It's like the world is not black and white. There are shades of gray, you know? And I would just, my disease would start talking to me between 4.30 and 5.30 PM. And I would change my mind, quote unquote, and I would drink again that night. And then it would just start the terrible, the cycle over again. And it was just a disaster. So I'm super glad to be sober. Now I wanted to ask you, I know you've been sober for a long time. Can we talk a little bit about your frequency of meeting attendance and why it's important to to go to meetings and, and what's your frequency looking like with going to meetings? Sure. And if I may just really quick, cause you just brought up an excellent point too, about how your disease started talking to you. Yeah. It would be all right if I just touch on that. Totally, yeah. yeah totally. So that part is the mental malady. Yeah. Right. We have a disease that speak and you know what? The whole world has a disease that speaks to them. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone is listening to this voice in their head. That's fear-based in program. We say we have a thousand, we have a disease that's based on a thousand forms of fear fear, false evidence appearing real. And it talks to you. It'll just say well, one more drink. It's like, just, just have one. Well, it's not the first, it's not the fourth or fifth drink that gets me in trouble. It's the 
first one. It's also scary what it'll say to you. I'm gonna let you finish that thought, but I want to say this real quick. It's yeah, also please. scary. It's also scary what your disease will say to you in early sobriety. And by early sobriety, I mean anywhere between like a month or three months because the desire to drink and drugs sometimes will come back and you will say to yourself, well, you won't say to yourself, but your disease will say to yourself, what's the difference? Who cares? You've only got nine days sober. You only have nine days sober. Who cares if you drink? What's the difference between November the 1st and November the 16th? Who cares? Well, guess what? Uh, it could be the difference between life or death. And I'm not trying to threaten you. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to say anything like that. But what I'm trying to tell you as a listener is, and if you're early in sobriety and you're struggling, uh, yeah, guess what? That's your disease going through its death throes and realizing it's under attack and threat by sobriety. And it is like not wanting to go away and it's not wanting to not kill you. It's wanting to keep its, you know, chokehold on you. So it'll say things to you like, Hey man, forget about it, dude. You've got eight days sober. Just blow it out tonight. You've only got eight days. You're not throwing away eight years. Well, guess what? You might not make it back. That's exactly right. It it is. I had mentioned this metaphor earlier. They call it spirits for a reason. Mm -hmm. And metaphorically speaking, metaphorically speaking, when those spirits start feeling like they are losing that grip hold on you, they'll say anything to you to get you to pick up that drink again so that then you are back at the bottom of a bottle instead of in the grace of whatever you may call God. If you have a minute of sobriety, 24 hours of sobriety, three days of sobriety, you are far better, far, far more clearer, far more able Mm -hmm. than ever being at the bottom of a bottle, 2 a.m. in the morning, drunk as a skunk, doing God only knows what, because it's an opener. It's an opener to other frequencies that aren't so good for you, right? People go from the drinking then to the Coke and then whatever else they may go to, right? So I really agree with you for anyone that's out there that's earnestly struggling in the beginning, you know, just know you are in the midst of a miracle to even have that level of consciousness of putting down a drink. It's a miracle. It's a, it's a miracle. God bless my mom that she never, ever, ever could get she drank all the way to the end and um, you know she's dead now as a direct result of consequences of her drinking and why her daughter myself you know got the idea uh, 20 some odd years ago 219 2001 is my recovery date in AA um, to stop alcohol why me mm-hmm. why not her why me why did I get to do this Right? Don't know. I'll never understand. Or maybe to do this podcast. Maybe so. How lucky am I? (laughs) How lucky are we? And how lucky are you as the listener? Sometimes I think that that might be why I'm sober, you know, is to to continue to try to be in a position to help people and that my work here is not done and and maybe putting this thing together was part of it, but I don't know. Uh, Well, I do know, actually, (laughs) and I'm going to say I I think that it is, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, there's there's a saying that we're all on a train ride in life. And we're looking out of the windows of that train and mm. all the seas, the scenes change, the scenery changes on your train ride of life. Yeah. But at the end, it's not about the scenery you saw or the things that you gained or any of that, mm. right? Or where you even traveled to. Mm. It's about how you treated your fellow passengers along the way. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why the first word or the first step is we. There is no way that I would be here today at all if it wasn't for my sponsor, if it wasn't for fellow individuals that are also doing this work, whether in the 12-step community mm-hmm. or for me, I have other communities as well. Mm-hmm. People that are really doing the march, they're really doing the deal. You know, during World War II, uh, mm-hmm. when they were bombing London, mm-hmm. there was that phrase which was stay calm and carry on when mm-hmm. the people people will down when they were down below on the subway and their entire city was being blown apart yeah. underneath that was what they would say stay calm carry on and they did that together they did that together it's together where we're stronger it's together where we're able to really do that kind of work when your city your life is being blown apart. You rely upon the others that are walking the walk. We trudge the road. We trudge the road to happy destiny together. And it's there where we can earnestly make the difference, um, not only within our own life, but the outreach then. You know, I've been granted this grace of, of, of sobriety. I've been granted this. And just like with this work that you're doing, I know you, Michael, I've had the privilege of seeing you in the rooms for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And you are a warrior in this work and what you represent with you and your wife, your, your son, your family. You know, you are really doing the deal here. And that's why this podcast is here, to reach back out to others and to help. And uh, or what's the point? You know, because again, that is what we take with us when that day comes, when we are no longer here. How did we treat our fellow passengers along the way? That's beautiful. I appreciate that affirmation. A lot of times I think about like, um, like you and I, you know, like for sure we won't be, I mean, I don't want to say for sure, because I'm not going to step on anybody's beliefs, but there's a, in two or 300 years, this audio file will still be around and people can go back and listen to it and, 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 and hear what people like you and I in the first hundred years of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous were doing, what we were saying, what we were thinking. So long after I'm gone, I'll speak for myself. This this audio uh, file will be around for people to 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 enjoy and to use. And so I'm really enjoying sitting here t- today with you to make this. So um, I wanted to swing back to that question about. I know you've been sober long term. What about uh, your meeting attendance? What is that looking like, and, and why is it important to go go to meetings? What's your frequency looking like with with going to meetings? Um, minimum of about three meetings a week, I'd say. Sometimes more. Yeah. Sometimes less. Okay. Let me, okay. That's perfect answer. Now I want to ask you another follow up question that goes exactly along with this. I know a lot of people like you that are super sober, super cool, super smart, and super in, and like have busy full lives. And as the listener can tell, you have a lot of other lanes that you travel in uh, for healing and spirituality and mindfulness. And so, how do you how do you know to keep Alcoholics Anonymous as a priority when you're traveling in like five or six different lanes of recovery and they're all beautiful lanes and you're doing great work in each lane and you're getting beautiful rewards from each lane. How do you remember to stay on the main highway and and, and remember to go to AA meetings and maybe that's where your base is? How do you, how do you do that? Let me, I'll put it to you. That's a great question. I'll put it to you this way. Um, Our government wasn't stupid with giving alcohol to the native American culture. Mm Mm-hmm. They were a fierce culture. They were men that could ride bareback on horses and would fight and knew the ways north, south, west, east. They knew the ways. They were, they were fierce. They were strong. Out of all the things they gave them was alcohol. 
Look at them today. Yeah, it's been a rough road. There's a lot of big time Indian um, reservations and, and like communities around the North Texas and Oklahoma area. And I know exactly what you're talking about. God bless them. Agreed. And for me, this is just for me. I'm really clear that when I put alcohol to my mouth, God help me. Because I am totally unconscious and I'm inviting that negative vibration into my life. I am very clear on that. There's something about, and again, this is just for me, there's something about alcohol. And we celebrate it in this world. We celebrate it. And I'm not talking about the people that do want to have the camembert cheese with the deep red bourgogne wine yeah. and the baguette. There is a lovely, okay. But once you cross a line, yeah. I mean, the, the, forget about it. And so for myself, I'm just very clear that when it comes to that, mm-hmm. no bueno. For no, you, for you. Yeah, I could drink tomorrow. Yeah. I could totally drink tomorrow. Michael, as a matter yeah. of fact, yeah. you know, we could go drink tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to do it today. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. today, the only spirit that I have yeah. is one with a capital S, mm-hmm. the spirit, the supreme force. Mm-hmm. There's only one force for me, and that is the love of God. That is love, the superior force, the supreme force, mm-hmm. a force greater than myself that created all of this. Mm-hmm. And I'm not able to connect to that force when I have the little spirit, the little spirits running through me, running my show. Yeah. So from that, my whole life comes from, Mm -hmm. from there. And the only way I can connect to that is by staying connected to it with my breath, with my point of focus, Mm -hmm. because God isn't in the past for me. God isn't in the future. God is in the here and now. And I can't be at the here and now if I'm at the bottom of a bottle. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like it shuts you off from the sunlight of the spirit. Period. Hard stop. And it invites mm. behavior, words, deeds, and actions <laughs> that a human being wouldn't otherwise do. Yeah, you know what happened to me is I started to do weird things at weird times of the day with weird people in weird parts of the city at the end of my drinking. And I noticed it. I was like, yo, dude. You're, I mean, I was trying to lower my moral standards as fast as I could, but the problem was my alcoholism was progressing faster that I could lower my moral standards. And I was just in a race to the bottom. Yeah. Or, or actually it was the alcohol, if I may, that was lowering your moral standards, yeah, right? Because you, Michael, are an amazing human being with so much to offer this world, your wife, your family, humanity, people yeah. at large. That's who you are. I didn't have any of that then. That's right. Because that spirit, that little ass, <laughs> that little spirit yeah. was running through you. Yes. That dis-ease. I didn't have any of that then. And that wasn't you. I mean, so I'm I've, glad we exercised that out. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was fighting the good fight by myself and getting a, a obliterated uh so this i love this question and i hope you have an answer for it can you tell me about your best day sober for so far and what did that day look like have you had a day can you recall a day in your sobriety so far that was just outstanding or oh wow it's a big Um, question i hope you have an answer for it uh what kind but just came to mind was uh working with a sponsee and she had just finished uh, a very thorough fourth step, fifth step process okay. with me. Like, no joke. Okay. Like, she did the work. Took two days to get through this thing. Okay. And um, 
at the end, it was like she was in this place of, what is this after? Because, you know, after you do the, the fifth step process, sometimes people miss. You're supposed to take an hour to go just sit and be quiet. Very, very important. important. <laughs> and so before she, yeah, very important. We both right? said that at the same yeah, time. Did, right? It says it right in the literature. I, yeah, go it ahead. It does. And a lot yeah. of people miss that. Yeah. And uh, before important. she went to go and do that, you know, mm -hmm. we just trailed through all this dis-ease. Mm -hmm. We had trailed through the inventory of people that didn't have safe passage in her mind. We trailed through the inventory of what that dis-ease had done in her life. Mm -hmm. And at the end, when we finally had finished day two, she did, she just looked at me and it was like this thing of, well, I've already said it. What, what, what is this? What is this? Mm -hmm. And I was like, it, it's your freedom. Your freedom. Because let me tell you something, Michael, growing up in the middle of the Garden District in New Orleans, Louisiana, mm -hmm. one of the houses was right on Britannia and First, ballroom in it. All the accoutrements that you could ever want in life. Blah, 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 blah. So much alcohol in there. The stuff doesn't fix it. The only thing that fixes it is when we look at it and we get that dis-ease off of us so that it's no longer running my show so that I'm no longer drinking at life. And sometimes even drinking can look like unforgiveness. Even drinking can look like too much social media. Even drinking can look like too much Coke. Even drinking can look like too much porn, too much sex, too much, all the stuff that we started in the beginning of this podcast with. Mm -hmm. Right. But when we, when we look at those parts that the drinking or the drugs or the, the whatever caused, then we get unshackled. We get unshackled. And then we get into the miracle of our life. She then got to go sit and she was clean. Yeah. Redemption, salvation, peace of mind, harmony. That's the only reason why to do this. That's the only reason why everybody's going out, buying a car, buying a shirt, having four or five girlfriends, boyfriends, all that's the only reason why people are doing all that. They just want some peace of mind. Yeah. And sometimes that sometimes that process that you were speaking about with your sponsee that come came at the end of the this step. Sometimes that happens to us uh, really quickly. It comes all at once, and sometimes it can be a slow burn. But it sounds to me like she was in awe of the process, and that what a, what a pleasure what a pleasure it is for you as a sponsor to be there and be part of that that, uh. that three way deal with you and your sponsee and God. You know, I've had the pleasure of listening to several, several, several fifth steps. And uh, one thing that I noticed is they're all very similar. Yeah. <laughs> they're all very similar. Somebody please tell me something new. Yeah, you yeah. just change the dollar amounts and the dates. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, with a lot of them. But now I, now I have heard, you know, all manner and all forms of um, different um, areas of, 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 the, of the human experience, uh, you know, discussed and explored during fifth steps. And it's just, it's just an honor to be, part of that process and if i may when i said the phrase please tell me something new i say that with the highest of respect and yeah. reverence right just yeah. basically meaning that the the paradigms of humanity we all have similar problems quote unquote right we just have different yeah. degrees of it yeah but there's a way out of all of them in order to have peace of mind. I mean, how many CEOs do we know that have no peace of mind? Yeah. They may have the whole world, <laughs> but they have no peace of mind. Yeah, really. You can't buy that. You can't buy that moment. 
my sponsee had with me in that room. And she did the work. I, all I did was just provide her tools that had been freely given to me. That's yeah, all. I just you, passed it on. You're just blessed to be there. She, that was it. What about drunk dreams? Have you ever had any drunk dreams and, and how have those affected you? And do you put any meaning into that? I have. Um, not that many. Uh, Can you explain to our listener what, what I mean by when I talk a, about drunk dreams? Sure. A drunk dream is when you're, um, you're dreaming, you're sleeping at night, and you actually dream that you have been drinking. And it's disconcerting. You wake up, you feel a little discombobulated. It feels awkward. You're like, oh, my goodness, did I? Did I? Oh, my goodness. Oh my. And then you realize, oh, you know, no, I didn't. Everything's fine. Yeah. Everything is fine. And that can happen to you at 10 years sober. 10 years 17 sober, years. 17 years. <laughs> all of the above. It's, ter- it's weird. I've had a couple of drunk dreams that I woke up and I've seemed so real. And I was yeah. like, I was like, oh, my God, I just threw away 10 years sober. And then I looked around. I was in bed. I was like, oh, dude. Like you were dreaming. Dude, hold on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think it's also important to note that people that have long-term sobriety, if ever you have the craving for alcohol, cause I've had long-term sobriety and I have had the craving for alcohol. Mm-hmm. I wasn't one of those that just came in and, Oh, I never wanted to drink again. Mm-hmm. Oh, hell to the no. There have definitely been moments where I have wanted to drink alcohol through the years of mm. not drinking. And in those moments I've gone straight to a room of AA and said, I want to drink alcohol. Oh my goodness gracious. And because we're as sick as our secrets. And as soon as you tell on it, call your sponsor, let them know, right? Cause those are just, if you will, the little spirits talking to you saying, go have a drink and it'll fix it. And it won't. Mm-hmm. And that's not often when that has happened through 20 years or however long it's been now. However, it has happened for me. And then when it happens, as I've mentioned, I'll go into a room and I'll say, this is what's occurring. I'm having a craving, please help. I'll just stay really close to the program and to my sponsor and, and, uh, continue on. Right on. So I want to talk to you about sponsorship right now. I know you work with some girls. Oh, let me, let me ask you another question before we get, is it still in the same lane though? Let's talk about sponsorship. Do you feel like, and I'll say that I agree with this statement I'm getting ready to make. I feel like that, oh, maybe I shouldn't say it. I'm so scared to like sometimes say stuff on this podcast because I'm like, I'm like putting it down on wax, you know, and then I'm like, oh my God, I'm just going to say it. Yeah, just say it. Okay. Well, I, my truth is, and my experience is like, I feel like men should sponsor men and women should sponsor women. But I know that that's not how it goes down all the time in AA. And I guess I'm okay with that. But I'd say uh, in, in the massive uh, percentages, I'm going to say in the high 90 percentages, 90 percentile, I feel like men should sponsor men and women should sponsor women. Now there could be a small percentage, let's say anywhere between one and seven to eight to 10% where it's okay for a girl to be sponsored by a guy and a guy to be sponsored by a girl. But I feel like in my opinion and, and straight up opinion right now that, that dudes should sponsor dudes and ladies should sponsor ladies. Do you agree with that? I or? do agree with that. And I agree with your statistics on that because sometimes people can have, listen, we're human. Human. Yeah. Just because we're in AA or Al-Anon or ACOA or whatever 12-step program, mm-hmm. there's there still human beings in there, you know, and sometimes in all places, in all communities, mm-hmm. churches, mm-hmm. synagogues, wherever, there's sometimes people who don't have the best of intentions, right? Right, right? And sometimes a guy sponsoring a girl who's going through, you know, traumatic rape issues or mm-hmm. God only knows what, and it might be a really pretty girl, or a mother, have, or and, mothering, and the other way around. Yeah, or right? mothering issues. She could be having single Mother, mothering issues yeah. what is she going to talk to some dude about dude, yes. that is married or never had a kid or whatever she's going to talk yes. to him about mothering issues being a single mother so anyways high, highly recommended by me which you don't have to take my advice but i'm just saying dude stay with twos and girls stay with girls how has your sponsorship style changed over the years have you have you act have you changed your style mm. 
have I, I mean, changed are you are you are you meaner now? Are you nicer now? Are you more strict now? Are you less strict? Are you more literature based? What, what, how's your style changed? Because mine has. Okay, I, that's a great question. I've never thought about this before. I'd have to say um, the the technique hasn't changed, if you will, because it definitely is the twelve the, the twelve steps yeah. and the big book. And the the, the program the is not going to the meeting to meetings. Don't right. get me wrong, meetings are great. Yeah. Go to meetings. Yeah. The program is the big book. The program is the first one hundred and sixty four pages. Sixty four. Yeah, one sixty four. One sixty four pages. Mm-hmm in the big book and working the steps. That's the program worked with a sponsor, period, hard, stop. And uh, the meetings and all that is along with it, which is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, But with sponsoring people, um, if if they're not doing the work, I will lovingly let them go because I'm not here to help people who don't want to help themselves. Right. I have no problem. How do you do that? I lovingly say, hey, listen, this isn't working out. I'm your sponsor. I'm not here for coffee talk. Uh I'm here to guide you through the steps and just simply give you what's been freely given to me. Mm -hmm. And you haven't done step three and we are two months out three months out or however long it is. Right. And just kindly, it's never what you say. It's always how you say it. Mm, Right. mm. And because there are people out there that really are looking to do the work and Mm. those are the ones that I want to work with. Um, and so it's, uh, I, I am just, yeah. And that period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, mine has, I won't go into it right now. I'll maybe save it for another podcast, but my, my style has definitely changed over the last 20 years. And, uh, I don't really have much more to say than that. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about where you're at today. You've been sober long term. What, what are you doing today? I know that you're, why don't you talk about what you're doing today with your life? Sure. Uh, so I, I am a mindfulness instructor. Um, I was teaching at the the Dallas Symphony here at the Meyerson uh, pre-COVID. Uh, they had to let the extra instructors go because of all of that, you know, and I totally understand um, and love the place. By all means, guys, go buy your symphony tickets. That place is really amazing. The artists are amazing. And, and the had, building's amazing, too. The building is the so cool. The ac- acoustics and just all of it. Um, uh, Kim Noltme has just done a fantastic job there. Um, and just everyone. It's just a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether working with CEOs or moms or I just did a workshop this weekend mm-hmm. with a group of people teaching and training mindfulness mm-hmm. um, within corporations, etc. I'm now, my next endeavor is to technically uh, go to that next level. I've got to continue forward because that's where we are all headed, right? Of course, we're already there. Mm-hmm. Um, with the online workshops, I'm, I'm not up to speed on that yet. Mm-hmm. However, do see individuals like one-on-one coaching and also teach in workshop class formats um, as well. So with that, I call it, I, I, call it, I am not a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Please know that. Yep. Um, meditation therapy or okay. meditation training and right? you provide custom you get to know them i'm mean, just guessing here. Oh, yeah. i would Go assume ahead. you 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 contact because somebody contacts you and then you design a custom program for them based off of their experiences and what they're wanting and then implement that on a weekly basis yeah that's very good yes yeah all of the above With, and then if i'm going into a corporation uh-huh. i'm like if you go to my website like the different 
corporations that I've worked with or yeah. different groups that I've worked with yeah. are, are there. Yeah. I'll, I'm very specific with the human resources department. Like what are they looking for? Okay. Are they looking for <laughs> lessening the anxiety, lessening the stress? Yeah. And or how about um, communication? Are yeah. people doing third party communication too much gossip? Because that's not awareness, right? That, that can cause total dissension within a corporation. And so mindfulness meditation practice isn't just about singing Kumbaya on top of the mountaintop. Mm-hmm. It's about being aware of how you are using your speech, how are you are utilizing the mental faculties of your mind, mm-hmm. and also making sure that you are equanimous, that you can let go of everything that's at home so that you can be present at work. Well, how do you do that? That's a true, that's a true training of learning how to detach from the mind and also learning the mindful listening. How do you listen to someone without listening to the story in your head of what you're going to say to them and instead really be present with what they're saying. That's super important when you're dealing with clients Mm -hmm. because if you're listening to what you want and your objective and your agenda, you're not getting your client's needs. Mm -hmm. How do you really pause yourself and get into the other person's world? Mm -hmm. And the thing that I really love about that when I am in corporations and teaching and sharing and so on and so forth is that that at the end of the day, what I, I, this is my favorite, is that they then can take these tools home because isn't that really where it counts? Mm-hmm. How do you really listen to your wife? How do you really listen to your husband? Mm-hmm. You could have the best husband in the world and he's actually, he just wants you to be happy. But if you're so still caught up on that resentment that happened three years ago, mm-hmm. you can't see the love that he's trying to give you today. And that works both ways, right? Yeah. So if you're sitting next to the coworker that you held, hold a resentment on all day long, Mm -hmm. Well, you're not a team member and then you won't let them contribute to the work that they're trying to do because you're in judgment on what they're doing and you're not seeing what they are trying to do, right? It's amazing that companies are offering that now via their HR department, bringing special people like you in to to resolve that. It'll, of course, uh, increase productivity, but that's, that's that's some amazing stuff. Thank you. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about your contact information. I'd like people to learn. I mean, you're a fascinating person. So let's talk about your contact information. Can you talk a little bit about your website and your email and, and let people know what they can find there? Sure. Uh, it's You could go to Vanessa Guile, spell like guild. So V-A-N-E-S-S-A-G-U-I-L-D as in divine uh, dot com. Vanessa Guile. I know it. It should be pronounced guild. However, we just say it a little different from Louisiana, right? Yep. And uh, all of my information is there. And my email is Vanessa at Vanessa Guile, G-U-I-L-D dot com. And any inquiries can be had there. And please do uh, get in touch if you find um, that you need any of my services. I'm here to help and am efficient uh, by the grace of God. Uh, it's, It's it's, I, if I feel like it's my calling, I have, I, I, it's my favorite thing to do. I've watched you progress in your skills um, on social media uh, and talent as far as reaching people over the last few years. And it's impressive. And I can definitely see a growth and an arc uh, to where you um, are getting in a position and on a wider base, based pa- platform to reach more people. Well, I wanted to ask you, um, for, I want to ask you for some final thoughts if you want to tie some stuff together. And, I'll, and then I want to ask you after you have your final thoughts, if you have any to, if you'd be willing to bless us with a guided meditation that we can end this podcast with, maybe do like a two minute guided meditation that our um, listeners could um, engage with us and uh, 
Sure. And see, see how that works out. Do you have any final thoughts on recovery or anything that you really want to say before we get into the guided meditation portion of the podcast? Uh, certainly. Um, I just have to say that with whatever you're grappling with right now, in any way, shape, and form, please know that there is a way out. If it's alcohol, 12-step programs are very, very helpful in every way, shape, and form. There are other programs. Reach out. Ask for help. If you're having suicidal ideations, reach out. Ask for help. You know, if you uh, just know that you're not alone, that there isn't a thing in the world, that there isn't another side to. You just got to keep trudging to get to that other side. There is another side to um, heartache or pain or sorrow or loss. There's joy, there's happiness, there's peace. And it's not like you have to be a Pollyanna every day. That's not realistic. Life is difficult. Life is, we are in life school. Right, and some of our curriculums are different than others. However, there is always a graduation from every course curriculum. You know, you just got to do the work to get there. And uh, wherever you are, I believe in you. I know you can do it. Um, I understand. I have been there. I have been there, and I continue to learn and grow. And I thank you for your words that you said earlier on seeing my growth. I really receive that. I've worked really hard and uh, I continue to work hard, you know, because peace of mind for me is everything. It's the greatest gift that I could possibly give to myself is that, um, and it's a daily, it's a daily practice. You know, sometimes again, you go into five o'clock traffic. Yeah. yeah. How, how peace, if you want to know your spiritual growth, how peaceful are you on 75 freeway? <laughs> how peaceful are you in front of that family member that really has come? caused you the greatest angst, right? Yeah. And just notice and just forgive yourself and just do the next best right thing that you can and just continue to, to grow um, and to ask for help. It, it's possible to recover from anything and to be present. That's awesome. And that's what we're going to move into now. I'm so excited that you've joined us here on Sober Shares today. It's been a very enlightening experience, and we've covered a lot of material, a lot of ground. You've blessed me and, and all the listeners, so thank you for that. So what we're going to do now is we're going to move into a moment, a couple, a couple minutes of, of guided meditation, and then uh, we'll end the podcast, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. So I'll turn it back over to you. So with wherever you are in this moment, we're just going to do a two-minute uh, process here. Literally, first, just take a deep inhalation. From the top of your head, your neck, your shoulders, bring your shoulders up to your ears, roll them back and around, opening up that heart space of yours, taking in another deep inhalation into your lung space, into your heart. You can even place your right hand over your heart and your left over your right and breathe right into that beautiful space right there in your heart and exhale and inhale, tracing down the vertebra in your back, becoming aware of this miracle called you. This light, this point of consciousness, of awareness. Deep breath even further all throughout your stomach, all throughout your large and small intestines. Inhale into your hip area, front, side, and back into your thighs, into your calves, into your feet. Inhale and exhale, just becoming aware of your breath, gentle, 
Detach from anything and everything that no longer serves you in your mind. Become aware of where you are. Perhaps you're sitting in a room, your living room, your office, your bedroom. Just notice another deep breath. Follow your breath. The past is over. It's done. The future has not gotten here yet. Too many thoughts in the past cause anxiety. Too many thoughts in the future cause depression and vice versa. Bring your mind. Train. Deep breath again. Follow your breath. Present time. All throughout your body. Why? Because your body is only in the present moment. Your heart only beats in the present moment. The synaptic responses in your brain only in this present moment. Deep breath. Exhale out again. Everything and anything that no longer serves you, just let it go. Let it all go. Dropping down the left hand. Dropping down the right hand. Another deep inhalation and surrender. Just surrender. Be willing. That's all you need. Open and be willing for something greater than yourself that is within yourself in this moment, the divine intelligence that created you, that is beautiful you. Deep breath into that. Relax even further. Let go. Forgive yourself. Forgive everyone. Just forgive As best you can, gentle, gentle, deep breath, exhale, relax even further, bring your attention right here to the sound of my voice, all is well, all is well, just in this moment, everything is okay, you're okay. Deep breath. Trust. One last deep inhalation, top of the head, neck, shoulders, roll them back, arms, hands. Awareness into your being, your heart, your beautiful heart that only wants to love, truly. Just love and be well. Gently open your eyes and just practice all day, just today. Simply be you. Just be you. And the world will adjust. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sober Shares. We'll see you next time.